Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It is great to be with you today, and we are very pleased to have joining us on the show today Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina, who is in the Beehive State today. Senator, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you, Boyd. How are you today? <laughs> doing great. Doing great. Fantastic. It is wonderful to have you here. I know you're doing some important work, and you just wrapped up a speech. They uh, they keep you humming. Uh, but as I as <laughs> I as I told one person, I said I'd, I'd go to your church any day. <laughs> well, that's because we don't take up an offering at the end. So it was, we're having a lot of fun here. I will say, without any question, uh, the reception in Utah and specifically Salt Lake City is just a blessing. I love the faith of the community. I love the warmth of the people. I love the mountains in in the background. So it's just a beautiful place to to visit, and I can see why so many people call this place home. Yeah, it is a it is a great place and a great model for a, a lot of the principles that you espouse and promote back in the United States Senate. And uh, you've you've had an extraordinary journey. Uh, you often talk about it in terms of going from cotton to Congress. Yes. Uh, give us a, a little bit of that backstory. You know, uh, my parents divorced when I was a young kid. We moved into my grandparents' house, a small house about seven square feet. My mother, my brother, and I shared one bedroom uh, at the time for a few years, but we were short on supplies, but huge on love and affection. And uh, I learned so much from my grandparents. I learned the dignity of work from my mom working 16 hours a day three days a week and eight hours a day, two days a week. And my mother always thought if she could, she should. And that meant that we were not taking any handouts unless it was absolutely necessary. And she would do everything in her power to support her two kids. And thank God she did. And and we were able to, to keep our head above water. But, you know, over time, what happens with the American dream in so many lives and so many families is we get a chance uh, at the next level. And we kept climbing the ladder And my fear today is when I look at the mess in Washington is that they're literally taking out the first rung or two of the ladder to success. And that's just really bad for kids living in poverty like I grew up and and bad for what I would consider the momentum of our country. We always make things better for the next generation, not by giving it to them but by making sure that the playing field is level for all kids. Yeah, and it, that's been such a, an important topic, I think, is obviously we've, we've watched a lot of the challenge that the uh, the Democrats in Congress have been having a, around a lot of these very large spending packages, in particular the, the social uh, package that uh, the president was hopeful to 
have done, but uh, you understand this from a unique perspective. And uh, we talk about social capital and uh, the dignity of work. Uh, what is it that you find uh, or that you think we should be focusing on as it relates to some of these things? Clearly, government has a role. Uh, what should that be? And how can we make sure, as as you said, Senator, we have those early rungs in place so that people actually can yeah. climb the ladder? Well, boy, that's one of the more important questions that I wish we had more people asking that question in Washington. The truth is that the average person, and I include myself amongst the average, we all need a plan a purpose, and a paycheck. Uh, We don't do well when people give us more than we need to survive. We can work for what we need to survive. If you cannot, then we should help you. If you can, we should encourage and make it easier for you to work. This current construct in Washington is designed around this theory that government should give you, by taking from others, that which you can work to get yourself. It is a poor, failed philosophy that weakens the American spirit and it doesn't strengthen it. And so I I think what we need to do in Washington is spend more time on how to create the soil conditions for job creation and less time on how to hand out giveaways. That just will not take you out of poverty. It may make you more comfortable in poverty, but will never eliminate the poverty around you. That happens through the private sector. It happens through the power of a quality education. It happens through the requisite skill set to go up the ladder in the workforce. So we should focus on making people more self-reliant not more reliant on government. Yeah, and and so often you end up in many of those. I always say with the programs, you know, let's make sure we get the right outcomes. Uh, Yes. Let's do a a real audit because in some cases, uh, the government gives you exactly what you need to stay exactly where you are as opposed to continuing on that journey. And, boy, what you're talking about is I call it the CBA, the cost-benefit analysis, Mm. is the program that we are implementing produce the results for the user, the end user or or recipient, as well as for the country as a whole. Mm -hmm. And if we do not produce results that are good for the individual and good for the country, we probably should do something else. And the closest thing to eternal life on earth is a government program. (laughs) They never go away. (laughs) I don't understand it. They but are. I don't need to understand it. <laughs> we just don't need to create any more because they won't go away. And that's what the Democrats are trying to do. They're trying to extend eternal life to new programs, and that should not be our primary objective. Yeah, and you've done so much work on this since you arrived in the Senate in 2013. Uh, really is the first African-American uh, from the South, uh, going back to the 1800s, I think. Uh, and you started with this focus on opportunity zones and uh, and how do you create that environment where jobs can be created, where people can be part of community uh, and get on that path to upward mobility? Well, boy, when you believe in people, you want to set them free. Uh, Isaiah 61 talks about setting the captive free and preaching the good news. Now, we don't need to preach chapter and verse as an elected official all, every day, all day long. What we should do is represent the goodness of, of, of our community and our country by the way we develop policies like Opportunity Zones that focuses on the private sector, 
creating jobs where jobs have been hard to create. That is the blessing of living in a country where we understand shared responsibility, not to give somebody something, but to create good conditions that are conducive for one's success. Uh, Opportunity Zones encourages and incents investors like Jim Sorson right here in the state to invest in areas where many people have just overlooked. Mm. He's doing that, and as a result of that, the economy is growing, revenue to the government is growing, but most importantly, hope is growing in some of the most unusual places, and that is a blessing. Uh, that is a, a great thing. And you talk about uh, treating people not as liabilities to be managed, but as individuals with divine potential. You've done a lot yeah. of work, a, a lot of good bipartisan work on criminal justice reform, race relations, uh, police uh, enforcement reform. Uh, tell us about some of the things you're working on there that, uh, again, often don't get all the headlines that they should. Uh, but yeah, these are the you. things about people. Well, Boyd, uh we have uh, a, a provocative history on the topic of race as a country. Uh, I am from the Deep South, and I certainly understand discrimination, and I also understand victimization. Mm. But just because you've been victimized should not make you a victim. You can rise beyond those circumstances and become victorious over challenges and past discrimination. Our country has become more fair every single year, and I believe every decade. And that's the beauty of who we are as Americans. We should never be judged on our worst day or on our original sin. We should be judged by the progress we make from point A to point B. And that's one of the reasons why I focus on opportunity zones and funding for historically black colleges and universities and working on uh, unemployment rates in minority communities. We can do that not by having a black agenda or Hispanic agenda or an Asian agenda or a woman agenda. The actual American agenda works for everybody. We just, need to, we just need to make sure that it is found in every crack, corner, and crevice in this nation. We should saturate this nation with opportunity. And when we do that, I believe that greatness rises out of every community in our country. Yeah, and it is that community. Uh, community and culture always lead, and, uh, and usually those uh, elected follow but uh, you are one of those who uh, is a leader, a leading voice on uh, so many things across the country. Uh, I won't pin you down on uh, 2024, but your name is always uh, in the mix as someone of, yeah, I'd, I'd follow that guy. Uh, but as you look Great at time. as you look at the country, uh, what is it that you see? What is it that gives you hope in the midst of the divisiveness and the fake fights and false choice that we often see out of our nation's capital? What is it that gives you the most hope? Well, Boyd. When I flew into Salt Lake City last night and walked into my hotel and was greeted by some warm and friendly fellows, when I had dinner uh, at a great hotel here at the Marriott and, and enjoyed my time with my buddy who's here with me, when I walked through the halls, uh, when I met people at the Alta Club, what I found to be remarkable is that every single American I ran into, they were more concerned about making America better than they were about making America better for themselves. Mm. The, the one thing I love about our country that gives me hope is I spoke at the Hatch Foundation this afternoon, 200 people or so in the room. 
they were concerned about the next generation for Americans. They weren't looking for ways to make life better for themselves. Anytime you have that sacrificial spirit on display, you know there's reasons to be hopeful. When I look at around the room and I see your Chamber of Commerce, I see your Speaker of the House, I see your former governor, I see businessmen and community leaders all in the same place, recognizing that we are better together, America's best days are ahead of her. Uh, these are things that give me reasons to be hopeful. What I would like to put an asterisk in the midst of this conversation. If we can just keep Washington out of the way of Utahns, Utahns, we are going to be better off. Uh, it is just the way we are. The fact is that every single day, someone from somewhere does something for other people, and they remain uh, in the shadows. They don't want the spotlight. They just want to make the place a better place for other people. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. As you had your interaction with, uh, with our friends over at the Hatch Center, and, of course, uh, Senator Hatch has a great legacy uh, on so many different things. Uh, what were some of the conversation points uh, that have stuck out to you of, oh, that's something we really got to talk about more uh, back in the Senate? Well, Senator Hatch, let me just say this first about not only the Hatch Center and Hatch Foundation, but the Senate himself. When you think of a prince of a man, quintessential prince of a man, Orrin Hatch, a man who looked for friends in strange places, a man who went to places he was not invited. I cherish the stories about his friendship with Muhammad Ali and his talent as a musician. And he was able to write music and was just brilliant at his desire to express gratitude and love to a country where he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks too. Uh, and so when I find the people that are attracted to his style of leadership, I find hope in this state I found hope in the room. I saw the CEO uh, of one of the great banks uh, here, Zion's Bank, and uh, Scott Anderson, just a beautiful soul, uh, a good heart. I looked around the room and saw different sectors of society. I saw the head of the NAACP, all in the same place, looking to make our lives better together. And so I want more of that in Washington. I want more people sitting at the same table who may fundamentally disagree on a number of issues, but they all agree on moving America forward together. Yeah, and I know you've done great work back there uh, with both Utah Senators, Senator Mike Lee and Senator Mitt Romney. Uh, you've you've all tag-teamed on a, a number of really important priorities back in our in our nation's capital, and uh, I'm sure that uh, that will continue as things move forward. Uh, I want to, to wrap up uh, our conversation today, Senator, uh, with this. Uh, I think you have to be one of the most uh, faith-fluent uh, members of Congress uh, in that you truly believe that you bring your, your whole authentic self into the public square. And at a time where, where faith and faith-based organizations uh, of all types have been kind of pushed to the sidelines or are often overlooked, uh, it really is that that faith fluent, being willing to, to bring your whole self in and let everybody bring their whole self in that uh, actually helps with those who might be falling through some of those safety nets that uh, that government just can't do. Yeah, you know, Boyd, I, I was, I was uh, thinking to myself about Mitt Romney and Mike Lee. 
attending a prayer breakfast with me on Wednesday mornings. Several of us, Republicans and Democrats, get together to share our faith with one another and why our faith is so important. The one thing you'll find on both the left and the right on Wednesday mornings in your nation's capital is that we never leave our faith behind. Now, the truth is that Matthew 25 does a great job of distilling our responsibility to the most vulnerable people in our communities. That's a responsibility that I take as a person uh, that believes that my faith should be my guide. It's my, my, my true compass north. I also would say that it's not my responsibility to uh, preach to people about my faith. I should model my faith in such a way that without words, people are compelled to say there's something different about the way he governs or the way that he lives or the way he speaks. Uh, I'm a happy warrior, a cheerful, cheerful warrior, and I believe that your senators here, both Mitt Romney and Mike Lee, are, are cheerful warriors. They want what's best for this nation, and they're willing to sacrifice in order to get there. And so for those of us who are faith-filled, we are flawed. Uh, we, we need help, but we never leave our faith behind because ultimately it's my faith that makes me want to be a servant more than a leader. It's my faith that teaches me to look for those who are underserved and not just to friends. It's my faith that reminds me that I, too, need a Savior, and I can, at the very least, be the hands and feet of the good Lord uh, in, a, in, a, in a tangible way. But I should never mistake my responsibility to my faith with telling you what you must believe. Uh, and that's the line of delineation that I see practiced uh, with your two senators here. And I try to remember to model the behavior, not preach at people, but model the behavior. Uh, and that's the best way for people to understand and appreciate what we mean, not just what we say. Uh, and that's uh, such a vital thing. Uh, we uh, had an interview with uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs before he passed away, and uh, he was having one of those conversations with someone who wasn't just an atheist. He was a loud, noisy, obnoxious atheist, but they agreed to talk. And, and someone said, you know, Rabbi, why why are you going to go talk to this guy? What are you going to do, try to convert him? And he says, no, I'm going to do something far more important. I'm going to listen to him. And, Amen. And I think that uh, that model is is so vital. And uh, Senator Tim Scott, uh, we appreciate having you here in the state of Utah. We will uh, adopt you at any moment if you're uh, up for grabs. We'll uh, shift the balance of power in the Senate. Uh, but you are a, a leader's leader, uh, one who is more interested in the power of ideas than the idea of power. And uh, we need more of that in our nation's capital. We're grateful to have you in the state today and appreciate your leadership. We'll continue to follow uh, as you continue your work back in our nation's capital. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, boy, let me just say on my parting comments here, thank you for the way that you represent uh, conservative traditional values on the radio. Thank you for your optimism and your hope. Thank you for your ability to think through uh, very complicated issues and to remain intellectually curious those are attributes or characteristics that allow for the truth to be told uh, in a compelling way, an attractive way, uh, and you just do it by sharing it and not trying to persuade everybody that you're always right, but that you are a student of life, and that is a blessing. Oh, thank you so much, Senator. Uh, again, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll have you back on uh, real sh soon. Safe travels. Uh, enjoy your beautiful, uh, perfect fall day here in the state of Utah. We'll do it. God bless.
God bless. All right. That's uh, Senator Tim Scott uh, joining us. Senator from South Carolina. One to keep your eye on. He will be heard from in the years to come. Uh, he is one who gets it in a unique way. A uh, bright future ahead for Senator Tim Scott. We're going to step aside quickly. Stay with us. More to come on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.